Welcome back to the Saturday show right here on the Zone Sports Network. I'm Jay Catch, joined in studio by my good friend Sean Walker from KSL.com. Sean, football season is almost here. We are in the midst of what they like to call talking season. Talking season. Or watch list season to a lesser degree. Watch list season. Congratulations on making a watch list to anybody listening, by the way. You've probably all made one at some level. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. We have uh, conference media days going on. They've been going on this past week. They'll continue into next week. Uh, Pac-12 media day here locally with the University of Utah will be on Wednesday. Utah State will be part of Mountain West Conference media days in Las Vegas on Tuesday and Wednesday. And, of course, BYU had their annual football media day last month. Sean, are you ready for football season? Am I ready for football season? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I don't know. That didn't come out nearly as enthusiastic <laughs> as it probably should have. But I think but so. I think I am because I well, I mean this this time of year is I I I like to call this time of year a little bit the dead period it in is. sports Absolutely, because yeah. unless you're a baseball or a a major league baseball or a major league soccer fan, there's really not a whole lot going on at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, which is also why I'm currently filing a story about local golf. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Um. But. but I, I think all that simply to say that we need football back. We do, uh, and and we, and I'm not just I'm talking yeah. about real football. I'm not just talking about fall camp. Yeah. Because as we learned yesterday, the University of Utah is not going to allow media to watch practice. And that's what I wanted to during ask all you of about. fall camp. Are we just, is this our future? Because you and I both cover college football here we locally do. heavily. And with Utah shutting things down, and literally not a part of fall camp will be seen by anybody but coaches, players, and maybe a few administrators, how how are we supposed to go about covering these teams and actually come up with original stories, et cetera, over a month of fall camp without seeing anything? I, I, I struggle with that whole scenario. Yeah, you, I mean, you and me both. It, it kind of it curtails a little bit with with what we can do to cover these teams and and to to kind of prepare reader our readers and listeners and viewers in some cases with with what they can expect on the field this fall. I mean, I I think quite frankly that a move like this is a little bit of a disservice to the casual college football fan. Um, and I'm not just saying that as a member of the media who wants to be able to watch all the practice and and whatnot. Like I understand coaches. You know, in the in this area era of social media and the internet and whatnot, coaches want to keep as much under lock and key as possible. And and I certainly don't. I don't need to give away game plans via previews and features and and match yeah. reports and that kind of thing. I yes. mean, I I just I don't need to do that as as a as a reporter in this market. But I do think there are th- some things that you kind of need to see. You kind of need to look at with your own eyes. And and it 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 keeps. It keeps coaches honest. It keeps them from it. It keeps players and coaches and universities in particular from from just outright lying to the public about different things. Um, so I, I mean, again, I don't need to sit through three and a half hours of practice um, just to be able to write a you know a yeah. five hundred six hundred word feature on a kid. You know, I can do most of that work with an interview. But it would be nice to know if hey, this guy was a little bit limited. Hey. This guy didn't participate in scrimmages, or hey, this guy wasn't in full pads on Tuesday, but he says he's going to be back by Friday, so no worries. Like I think little things like that, it, it's kind of important, and and you can you can still spend things as much as you want, um, and that sort of thing. But but I do think there's a little bit of a disservice. Uh, frankly, though, Jake, 
I'm not terribly surprised that no, Utah is pulling this move. Yeah. I would not be surprised if BYU or even Utah State up in Logan did the same thing soon. Um, but I also think, and I'm going to make a lot of enemies with my colleagues in the media by saying this, Uh-oh. but I think coaches are giving us a little bit too much credit in the media. Okay. Okay? Because I – and and – Maybe I'm alone in this, and you can totally no, correct me. But you, but you need to explain yourself. I, I'm kind of lost with but where I, you're going. I show like I show up to practice. I'm probably revealing my ignorance here, but I've done that. Anybody who follows me on Twitter knows that I'm an ignorant little sob all the time. So whatever. But I show up to practice a lot of times, and I stand there for about five minutes, notice a couple things, and then there's a lot that happens in practice that it's kind of over my head. I'm not a college football coach. I didn't play co- football in college. You know, I I never really got super into like the deep dive of like okay. the terminology and the vernacular yeah. and and the play calling and and that kind of thing. So I can pick out some things here and there. Know when guys are are playing hard. Know which guy you know maybe which linemen are playing together and that sort of thing. But but when it comes to things like giving away scheme and plays and that sort of thing, like. Honestly, if somebody's listening to my opinion of of a team's play calling, they're probably going to be wrong anyways. Okay. Um, and so I just I don't see what the big deal about letting the media watch ten or fifteen minutes of practice is. Yeah. See, I I'm not I'm not going to climb up on this soapbox and say that all of college football needs to be open every minute of practice. I, I don't, I'm not going to say that because. I get these are college coaches. They're trying to get an advantage any which way they can. I understand with Utah, especially with a new offensive coordinator up there, they probably want to keep it under wraps as much as possible. I sure. understand that. BYU I, was the same way a year ago when they, Jeff Grimes came They were, in. absolutely. I'm not saying that they need to be like USC, where USC has always traditionally been wide open. Players, coaches, and fans alike can show up and watch practice. I don't, I'm not saying that that is the way it needs to be. I I. Personally, I would like it. I like watching football practice. I think you can learn a lot, even as a media member, Sean, just sitting there watching things. You pick things up. But like you said, you already can pick out things just as a novice, plain and simple. But I do, in a way, agree with you that, yeah, we don't need to be there watching hours on end. And you're right, coaches do don't yeah they may give us a little more of the benefit of the doubt like these guys would know what this formation would be and what they're gonna it's like no coach we're not gonna write about that we're not gonna be doing deep dives on look they're in the i formation they might be doing this play this play and x play over here obviously this means that utah's gonna gonna go the triple option under yeah under andy ludwig yeah okay yeah Yeah, they're not gonna do that breaking news Utah's running the triple option under Andy Ludwig. Now, that would be something. <laughs> but you, you just look at it, and it's a, it's this interesting situation. I've appreciated uh, programs who have been open about letting us see portions of practice, uh, updating us on if a player was limited, etc. Kyle Whittingham's got his policy. Unless it's season-ending or a long-term injury, he's not commenting on that. I can understand that wholeheartedly. I'm an advocate that I think that there needs to be a standardized injury report system in college football, but I understand that won't happen until you have somebody, a conference, a college commissioner of football that really controls the entire sport, but that's not happening. Jake Hatch for college football commissioner. Uh, I don't want to be, I don't want that job. I'm lobbying it. <laughs> Hatch 2020. No, no, thank you. But I do believe there should be a standardized system for injury reporting. I get where college coaches are coming from, but like you said in your kind of opening statement there, Sean, 
them shutting it down completely and allowing the media to talk to players afterwards and us trying to do guesswork on what we want to cover, et cetera, during fall camp, it's a disservice to Joe Fan out there of whatever college football program. I think that it, even letting us see 10 to 15 minutes, you can get a sense, I think, of what's been happening at practice that day, even if it's the final 15 minutes and you're watching special teams drills. You can still get a sense for what happened that day in practice, and then I think you have more informed questions, which I think college coaches appreciate when you have a reporter or a, or a media member who's there who sounds a little more informed rather than asking a generic, Coach, how was practice today question? They like to they, – a lot of coaches, and I'll use an example of uh, Bronco Mendenhall, former BYU head coach. He was a guy who would answer questions to the level they were asked. Does that make sense? If you asked a very generic, broad, open-ended question, guess what? You're getting a generic, broad, open-ended answer from Bronco Mendenhall. You ask a very concise – Talk about this, coach. You, yeah, exactly. You talk about – you give him a concise, very clear, detailed question. Guess what answer you got from Bronco Mendenhall? clear, concise, and detailed in his responses. I think college coaches respect media members who do their homework and show up with questions that are smart but also informative, and they're willing to share their insights to a degree. They're not going to reveal all, but I think that there is a give and take on both sides of this conversation. But it it's just me. It might, it might be just me. It, it might be just me. I don't understand what Utah gains from closing off practice entirely this coming fall camp. Yeah, I agree. I just i i think it's I think it's bad PR. Um, I think it's bad optics, and i I don't think you get as much out of it as um, as just the black eye, kind of the stink. But that, that it puts on you. It's kind of the trend college football is going towards, though, that's, and that's the tough part about it. I've, uh, you, I'm guessing you're right. Probably BYU and Utah State at most this fall we'll get to see. I'd say 30 minutes of practices. That's just me. I, I, I might be wrong about that, but my, you and I. Oh come on, we're gonna, we'll see at least 20 minutes every day of guys warming up and stretching. Okay, fair enough. You and I both cover BYU pretty heavily for our respective organizations. You for KSL.com. I do it here on The Zone. And BYU, the most I have seen in my time as a media member covering the Cougars of a practice is 30 minutes. And I think that's going to trend downwards, and I would expect at some point that it's going to be closed off. But I, I really do think a program that completely cuts off access to practice does their fans a disservice because the media members who are charged with covering that team can't go out and ask pointed pertinent questions to each day's practice without having seen or felt the vibe of that practice. Hopefully I'm making myself clear in what I'm trying to say here. They need to be able to at least see part of it in my mind to really kind of be like, okay, coach, today had a kind of a a laissez-faire attitude. What, What did you think about that? And that's, I think, where you lose that when you just completely cut off that access. Yeah, it's less... I mean, what you what you as a reporter get from practice is less about what you see mm-hmm. and what you can describe, and more just about what you feel. Yeah, um, it kind of it it gives you sort of time to to be able to process what is going on, what's the story of the day, and and what's kind of what's coming at me um, in lieu of, you know, I mean, there there are going like there there are times always where 
I'll show up to practice with a story in mind. I've requested a couple of interviews mm -hmm. for that story in mind, that sort of thing. Um, and then that story just, I don't completely scrap it, but I put it on the back burner because some pretty big news happens. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but if you don't have that chance to just sort of sit back and, again, not necessarily watch every play or, or count every snap of that practice, but just kind of sit back and, and, and feel like what's going on, who's getting a lot of attention, maybe in the quarterback race or the running back race or that kind of thing, um, I think you lose that ability to sort of adjust on the fly and really present to your readers, your listeners, et cetera, just what's, what's important at that time for that team. I would agree with that. and We'll see. I... I understand what Utah's doing. I'm hopeful that it maybe is just a one-time deal this year where they're completely closing it off, and maybe next year they open it back up a little bit. I'm not holding my breath in that regard, but I have hopes that that that, that happens. We'll see what um, what comes out of fall camp. I also am of the thought, Sean, and you probably agree with me on this, after about two weeks of fall camp, we need college football games. <laughs> yes. Yes, because man, I'm, I'm eagerly looking forward to what the big fall camp controversy is in the second week this year at BYU. It's it's what it ends up being though. It might involve Bo Hodge. It might, it might. He's it, even though he's redshirting. Even though he's redshirting, it's coming. You're right, but it's just it's it's it is something. Fall camps do drag on forever, seemingly, and then finally games show up to kind of pull us out of those doldrums because we spend all year waiting for football Sean fall get camp gets here the first week everybody's all juiced and all ready to go with their coverage they have these story ideas and then it feels like after about four five six practices it's like well um what are we gonna talk about now <laughs> <laughs> it yep. really does happen that way so it'll be interesting like I said I'm hopeful that the trend of closing off practices to media members is curbed at some point and they trend back towards a little more access but I'm not holding my breath college football coaches are notorious in their uh, both desire and ability to shut down prying eyes to their programs and I completely get it at the same time, but I'm hopeful at some point that it trends back the other way and we get a little more access, just speaking as a media member. All right, let's talk about another sport and a media member who covers it to an expert level. Speaking of Bob Casper and Real Golf Radio, we'll talk with him about the Open Championship next. We also need to ask him about Preston Summerhay, Sean. 16-year-old phenom, the two-time reigning state amateur champion. Well, he just accomplished another feat, which is absolutely phenomenal. We'll talk with Bob about that next, right here on the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show, right here on the Zone Sports Network. Proud title sponsors is Stockton 12 Honda. And right now, Sean, if people go down to Stockton 12 Honda, they can get a 2019 Honda Passport for up to $4,000 off MSRP. And all you got to do when you get down there is tell them the Saturday the Zone Sports Network told you to come down. How did you know I'm a Honda guy? Well, I drive. my wife drives a Honda, so I figured you're a Honda guy. Come on. You strike me as the type. I mean, you did marry well. You I married did. a Honda person. I so. did. She loves her Honda Pilot and great cars, plain and simple. So go check them out down at the Southtown Auto Mall, 10860 South State Street. I'm uh, going to be talking with Bob Casper. Uh, let's get to it right now. Bob Casper from Real Golf Radio joining us right here on the Zone Sports Network. This You Into Golf 2019 Open Update is brought to you by Zions Bank, Hoops Vision, Siegfried and Jensen, and Barbecue Pit Stop on 97.5, 1280 The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. All right, we welcome in Bob Casper from Real Golf Radio now. 
And Bob, I guess my first question is, Brooks Kepka is lurking there. Is he going to be able to make a push in the final 18 holes here and win another major title? Well, he's still seven shots behind. Um, something's going to have to happen in front of him with Shane Lowry, um, you know, with his eight under par today. Uh, he has 63. He put him at 16 under par, and now he has a four-shot lead over Tommy Fleetwood. Um, you know, the, anybody anybody that's chasing now has to uh, has to rely on Shane Lowry to make a few mistakes, uh, especially like early in the round. And um, and if he does, then then there's a chance. Um, but the nice thing is, as you know, you've got you've got Tony Finau and Jordan Spieth and Henrik Stenson. Um, uh, Matt Kuchar, Xander Shoffley, Patrick, Patrick Reed, those guys are all going to go out a little bit earlier than Shane Lowry. And if those guys get out and start posting some scores, um, then it might put a little bit of pressure on him and we might see him wilt a little bit. All right. Uh, what is – okay, I've really enjoyed watching this tournament. I think Royal Port, Port Rush is a great course to play this play this event on. The history of it is kind of fascinating. They're back there after over 60 years, going back to Northern Ireland. Yeah. Have you really liked this course? Do you think it should be in the regular rotation for the Open Championship? Well, I think it's going to make it. It's going to make a huge push to be in the rotation, and simply from the standpoint that um, you know they're expecting 250,000 people watching the golf tournament over the week. Um, that's they only get crowds like that at at the Saint at Saint Andrews, the old course, um, and and it's been a phenomenal course. Um, you know, the players have loved it. They've they've loved the way that it's set up. Um, they they enjoy being able to play it. This uh, the strategicness of it. Um, everything about the golf course they love. Uh, so I think I think they'll probably make it make it. A, ro- a road a golf course as far as the the open championship is concerned and uh, and make it make it part of the the regular courses that are included in the group Bob we'll maybe we'll get to some Americans and and one of our locals and Tony here in a second but but when you bring up Lowry the Irishman do you think it's important that he's right there at the top of the leaderboard and, and really kind of leading the charge and and leading the pack with this return? To that side of the British Isles, does that kind of help maybe drive a little bit more interest, a little bit more buzz, and, and maybe maybe suggest to uh, to the tour that hey, we need to come back here? Yeah, uh, you know the interesting thing is is that you know you had Darren Clark um, who teed off, right. hit the first tee ball, made the first birdie on the first hole, um, and and he's right there from from uh, the Port Rush area. You have Graham McDowell who made the cut, shot sixty eight today. Um, you had Royal McElroy, who, who everybody thought he was the betting favorite. You know, he knows the golf course well. He's right there from that area. Um, and he basically laid a goose egg. So for Shane Lowry to step it up and to, to, uh, to really find his game this week, the crowds are huge behind him. I, you got to think that he's, um, you know, living on adrenaline right now, especially when he gets out on the golf course. And hopefully he doesn't have too many bad things happen to him tomorrow um, with some of his shots and stuff like that. But it would be great to have a first-time Open Championship winner with and him being an Irishman, being that they're playing at this this course in Ireland, Northern Ireland. Bob Casper from Real Golf Radio joining us. You can hear him and Brian Taylor every Saturday morning right here on the Zone Sports Network from 6 to 9 a.m. 
Uh, Bob, it's been fun to see Tony Finau playing well in this event. Uh, he kind of described his recent run as being in a slump. Have you seen anything from him this week that leads you to think, okay, he's busted out of this, or is it this course just set up well for him? You know, he, he did pretty good. He, he had three birdies on the front nine, and he made a bogey, and then um, kind of went along pars pars all the way through until he got to 18. He missed the green just to the left, and then he had a really nice high flop shot and lofted it up there, and the ball ran across the green and went in the hole. Um, it was pretty good. Uh, you know, four birdies. One bogey in a major championship on Saturday. He he only shot three under. There were some really nice scores um, besides um, what we saw with Shane Lowry. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood shot five under. Um, Ricky Fowler shot five under. Danny Willett shot six under. Um, but, you know, that's what I would expect from Tony, to be in the five-six range, um, which he didn't get to. He got to three under par. Um, so, you know, I, I think... I think he's got to go out. He's only he's tied for eighth right now, going to the final final round. Um, he's going to play with John Rahm, and and they tee off at around six oh seven our time tomorrow morning. And so those guys, he's got to go out and he's got to make a lot of birdies. He's just got to go out and he's got to shoot a score like um, like Charles, like Shane Lowry shot. He's got to shoot seven eight under par, and uh, and see where the chips fall. Well, in that regard, then, Bob, maybe that's a good thing that Tony seems to have had pretty good success on the front nine during the first three rounds of this tournament. He was, I think he was four under today, and then he's been under par on the front, I believe, each of the first two days as well. Can that help when you're chasing oh, like yeah. that to kind of get up some confidence and build up some steam and some momentum going into the final yeah, round? You bet, definitely. And he's going to have to do that again tomorrow. He needs to shoot three or four or five under par on the front nine tomorrow and then uh, and then do the same thing on the back nine. So, um, you know, it all starts on the front nine. That's how you kind of set up your back nine. And, and as long as you're playing well, which he is, you know, and he's making some putts, getting the ball close to the hole uh, on the par fives and that kind of thing, then, uh, then he may have a chance. Bob, I know that he missed the cut, but of course Tiger Woods is a story regardless of what he's doing in the world of golf. What did you make of his comments about saying, hey, I just want to go home? Is, is, are we kind of in the day and age where if Tiger's feeling right, he'll contend, but more often than not, it may, it may be just he's a, he's a spectacle and not necessarily in contention? Well, I, I think part of, that is, part of that is correct if he's feeling well. Um, and feeling well is uh, playing uh, in, in weather and environments that help his back to be a little bit looser. Um, at, at the Masters this year, the weather was warm. Mm-hmm. At the Tour Championship a year ago, the weather was warm. Um, his back was able to uh, to stay supple and that kind of thing. Uh, if it gets too cold, like we saw here, um, like we also saw um, at the U.S. Open, um, and then also at the PGA Championship, then you're not going to see him probably contending. And that's just because he's had major back surgery and had, had fusion in his, in his back. Um, and so it's just, it's a product of age, which he's 43 and, uh, and his, uh, you know, his health as far as, uh, the fusion in his back and that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I think, I think we'll, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it goes forward, but I think for the most part, you know, um, I, I think we'll see him play better in environments where it's a little bit warmer, you know, 75, 80, 
85 degrees, that kind of thing or above. I, I think most of us can agree with that. We hate playing golf in colder weather, so I, I think we can all oh, yeah. get on board with that. Uh, Bob, I wanted to bring it closer to home here. Preston Summerhays, the 16-year-old yep. phenom, well, he only just went out and won the U.S. Junior Amateur. This mm-hmm. this is quite the story right here in our own backyard. Is there anything that can do justice to what this young man is doing? You know, it's pretty amazing. Um He's played in three match play events um, and and been in match play. He's eight, right now he's eighteen and zero in match play, starting from last year um, at the U.S. Amateur, at the Utah State Amateur. He won that. And then he won this year again, and now he's won the U.S. Um, U.S. Uh, Junior Amateur Championship, which also gets him in uh, the U.S. Amateur Championship in in August, um, and they'll be playing at Pinehurst. And then it also gets him in the U.S. Open next year, I think. Okay. And then it also gets him um, uh, back into the U.S. Junior Amateur in 2020. So, um, you know, uh, he's a great kid. Brian and I had a had a chance to talk to him uh, the media day before the the state amateur championship, and you know, he's he's uh, just just a level headed kid. Um, he loves to compete. He loves to play golf. Um, he said he's played probably 300 rounds of golf with Tony Finau, and that's one of his advantages because um, Tony, in working with his dad, his dad is his teacher on the PGA Tour, Boyd. Yeah. Um, in working with with Tony, Tony's down in Arizona a lot. Um, Boyd gets a or, or Preston gets a chance to play with play a lot of golf with Tony, and uh, whether it, you know Tony's giving him tips or whether it's just watching what. Uh, a guy that's a great PGA Tour player, one of the top guys in the world, watching what he does to get himself around the golf course, um, you know, uh, it's 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 remarkable. And uh, Preston is a great kid, and congratulations to him and to Boyd and, and the family. Uh, now the interesting thing is Grace, who qualified for the Utah State Am but didn't make it to match. No, she did make it to match play, uh, lost her first match. Now she plays in the the girls junior amateur or the women's junior amateur championship this next week. So um, the family keeps on rocking and uh, it'll be interesting to see how Grace plays next week. Yeah, Boyd, uh, yeah, Bob Boyd was telling me at the uh, at the Utah Championship, I caught up with him for a couple of minutes, that Grace used to be kind of that little sister who Preston would begrudgingly kind of pull her along whenever he'd right. go out and play. Um the last year or so, she's actually been. He said she's actually been pushing him pretty good to to get better. Otherwise, she's going to start passing him and lapping him up. So, some yeah. bright times, I think, for the future of the Summer Hayes clan. Which we were having. Yeah, this you know, we, Jake and Preston, I were just. Gonna, I was going. I was oh, going to no, say go. Preston. Preston has always loved competing in golf. Um, Grace didn't really like uh, the idea of playing golf. Uh, she was more yeah. of a swimmer. That's what Boyd told us. Um, and then, and then, as she started to develop and and get get uh, get more skills and work on her game and start to see a, you know a huge amount of improvement and that kind of thing, that's when she started getting the bug for golf. And so it's it's pretty cool to see them play together. Yeah, yeah. I I was gonna say I think when you're born with the last name Summerhays. Uh, it's part of the contract that you have to at least give golf a try. But for some <laughs> of them, it maybe comes a little bit later than others. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a legacy, definitely here in the state of Utah. 
Yeah, awesome. Well, Bob, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us here on the Saturday show. Looking forward to seeing what happens tomorrow. I just saw that they've moved the tee times up tomorrow at yeah. the, because of severe weather. You think that affects guys at all? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, not as far as moving the tee times yeah. up. Most guys would, would rather the tee times be earlier, and they're fine with that. Um, what what you know what's really going to happen is toward, as we get towards the back nine and that, that weather starts to kick mm-hmm. in, uh, it's going to be a little bit more difficult, and uh, we're going to see. Uh, we may see some big numbers. And we may see some high scores. Um, hopefully, Shane Lowry can uh, keep it under control. Awesome. Well, Bob, thanks again. Enjoy the final round. We'll catch up with you soon. All right. All right, guys. Take care. There you go, Bob Casper, Real Golf Radio. Thank him for taking the time. Uh, Sean, I don't know if you listen to Real Golf Radio on the rig, as people like to say. I listen to it a lot, and I really enjoy what him and Brian do on that show. It's actually, I'm a golf nut. You know that. I play golf a lot. And they actually, they've helped my golf game. And I know that sounds weird to think that a a sports talk show about golf can help your golf game, but they have some guys on that give some tips that I've used that actually have paid off. Yeah, there's a lot of just really good golf media here in the state of Utah. They do. I know. Yeah. I know Utah's not often uh, known for golf necessarily. Uh, certainly, Shh, Tony. Don't Finau come here. The golf courses. You don't. I mean, yes, it's terrible. <laughs> you don't want to move to Utah. Uh, you definitely do not want to move to Utah to play golf. Definitely not. Definitely not at all. Um, but no, in all seriousness, I know guys like Tony Finau and Danny Summerhays and some of the others mm-hmm. are, are changing that perception a little bit. But man, there's some really good golf media in this state that. Uh, I think a lot of people need to be taking advantage of more. Yeah, they do a good job covering it. All right, well, we'll take a time out here, come back. It is five minutes of soccer, and we may make it even longer than that. Who knows what happens, but we'll get to that we got, next. we got a resident Man City fan here running the board. Yeah, so. Wolverham, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Sean. Come on, get yeah, it right. Same thing. All right, that's coming up next right here on The Saturday Show. Welcome back to the Saturday show right here on the Zone Sports Network. I'm Jay Catch, joined in studio by Sean Walker this afternoon. Got Eric Jensen behind the glass spinning the dials for us. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, We're finishing up hour two of the program today, heading into the three o'clock hour here in a little bit. But it is time for five minutes of soccer. Where should we start, Sean? Should we talk with RSL tonight, facing off against Minnesota United, two of the hotter clubs when it comes to MLS play of of recent action? Where, where do you want to start? Um, I want to start with a shout-out. Can I give a okay. shout-out real Absolutely. quick? Go ahead. Because I don't think you're going to have too much to add to this. But, All right. Uh, Utah Royals FC, thrilling 2-2 yeah. draw okay. last That's night That's where we should Portland. start right there, yeah. Um, yeah, that was fun. That was crazy. Wasn't that a lot of fun? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so shout-out to the ladies over there at the Utah Royals. But also, shout-out to the URFC Reserves. First-year club playing in the Women's Premier Soccer League. Okay. Got a whole bunch of college products from BYU, Utah, Utah you, State. Let's take a step back here. You need to explain what the URFC Reserves are in particular in relation to the Utah Royals. So they're they're just a semi-professional side. Uh-huh. Uh, they got a lot of college players from BYU, Utah, Utah State. We're talking current other college players, kids. right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, and then a couple of they're they're allowed to kind of loan like some uh, some like injured players down and that kind of thing, some reserve contracts and that okay. sort of thing. Um, and they just play in the semi pro league every summer. They're a first year club. They're taking over the spot left by the old RSL women mm-hmm. from a couple years ago. Um, and they uh, this is their first year in the Women's Premier Soccer League or the WPSL, which is I just found out today is the longest running women's soccer league in North America. 
Well, cool. Um, awesome. Longer than the NWSL, obviously. Okay. And uh, the URFC reserves, coached by Royals assistant Amy LaPelbet, just qualified for the WPSL championship match with a penalty shootout win over Motor City FC last night. Get out of the way, so, Detroit. That's right. Out of the way. <laughs> so uh, championship match will be Sunday morning at about, I think it's at 11 a.m. against Pensacola City. Okay. You can find some live streams of that. I'll go tweet that on Twitter and that okay. kind of thing. Go, but, you, go URFC uh, yeah. reserves. Absolutely. But, yeah, so shout out shout out to our friends down down south in Provo, our friends up north in Logan, mm-hmm. and our friends right here in Salt Lake City uh, at the U who play for that team, and uh, good luck tomorrow. Absolutely. That's going to be awesome. Hopefully they can bring home a championship. That would be an awesome accomplishment in their first year as a club to go out and do that. All right, Sean, let's talk about the action on the pitch tonight here in Salt Lake. Real Salt Lake plays host to Minnesota United FC. And I'm not going to lie, Minnesota United FC has just absolutely blown me away with how they've really turned things around this season. What have your impressions been so far? Yeah, two of the two teams that are kind of hitting it at the right time. Obviously, two weeks ago, uh, RSL had that tough, tough, tough loss at the death yeah. uh, at San Jose. But they've won three of the last four. They've gotten results in four of the last five. Really, I mean, unbeaten at home in five. I think, yeah, if I'm all, all but yeah. Uh, all but like thirty seconds of that. Um, of that San Jose match, they yeah. kind of dominated that in a lot of ways. Now coming up against a Minnesota team that's won four straight, mm-hmm. four in a row, straight up, uh, and this is this is the type of this is the type of match that you need to win. Quite frankly, uh, for RSL, if you really want to be in the playoffs come the end of the season, because a lot of we've seen what this club can do in wins over top top caliber opponents mm-hmm. particularly from the east i'm talking about like atlanta or eastern conference leading philadelphia last week um but now it's kind of those middle tier teams teams like a minnesota that they they sort of need to get over and prove that they can beat especially at home you're competing with this team for a playoff spot so yeah yes. you absolutely need a result eric any thoughts on tonight's match from you yeah uh when jefferson Saverino is playing great soccer rsl is a completely different team yeah. from when he's not absolutely hey <laughs> i think last week's point a to that yeah, to that effect exactly i i think when he's playing great soccer they can do so many different things defensively that the midfield just looks more comfortable when he's playing well i think that if he stays hot rsl will continue to thrive the problem is when he's not great, the rest of the team really struggles with kind of formation yeah, and shape. I would agree. I would say for Minnesota United, watch out for Mason Toy. He is one of the best up and comer up and comers for a young United States soccer player. He has scored about three goals within the last month and has been their best player for the last few matches. Sweet. All right. Hey. And, yeah. It should be a fun match tonight. 8 o'clock. If you want to go enjoy a summer evening here along the Wasatch Front, there aren't many better venues than venues here along the Wasatch Front. I'm speaking of the Salt Lake Bees at, at Smith's Ballpark, uh, Real Salt Lake at Rio Tinto Stadium, the Utah Royals also at Rio Tinto Stadium. Summer evenings along the Salt Lake Valley are best spent at sporting events. That's just me. I, I, I am a firm believer that. One other note I wanted to talk with you guys about, uh, this coming Wednesday, the inaugural Leagues Cup kicks off. RSL will host a Mexican champion Tigres at Rio Tinto Stadium. I guess what are your guys' thoughts on this on this competition as a whole and 
RSL drawing probably one of the best teams in the northern north in North America. Period. Well, I mean, I don't really think it matters what any of us think because the, the League's Cup is here to stay. If you believe a couple of reports uh, in the last week, it's going up they, to sixteen. Yeah, they even year. want to expand it, yeah. try to include more MLS teams, more Mexican teams, uh, and and look, let, let's be honest. I mean, this this isn't what most RSL fans or what most MLS fans in general are are looking forward to at this time of year. When you're talking about the the summer months of June, July, August, Mm -hmm. you're looking at the MLS regular season. You're looking at trying to get into the playoffs. You're looking at trying to prove that you've got uh, one of the, one of the best teams, if not the best teams in North America. Well, sorry, in the U S and Canada, because Mexico is also North America. Um, but these competitions are also really, really important just for the region because yeah, Liga MX down in Mexico, it they've been starting to lap MLS just in terms of talent, in terms of overall quality, in terms of roster uh, size and salaries. I mean, you've basically got 12 or 13 designated players on every Mexican team. Mm-hmm. Um, so competitions like these where you have MLS sides and, and Liga MX sides going up against each other kind of head, head-to-head, mano-a-mano, uh, of the sort, MLS needs to start winning these. They need to start proving that, you know, before they can be one of the top teams in the world, then we can joke about Project 2020 and whether or not they really are on on course for that or not. But before you can prove to be one of the top teams in the world, um, just be the top team in your region. Be 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 the top. Be the top league in Concacaf. Yeah. Um, right. And that starts with competitions like the Leagues Cup. Okay. Anything, Dad? Yeah, I think it's only good for MLS teams, especially through the season. You can, even when you're fighting for a playoff spot, this also gives more players more playing time, which means you can potentially use this to help grow your youth systems, which absolutely helps the game. So I think it's a great, great tournament. Yeah, big opportunity to see one of the best clubs, like I said, in North America coming up Wednesday night, Pioneer Day. At the Riot. Should be a fun night if you want to go out and watch some action. Also go out tonight. Uh, David James and Brian Dunseth will be on the call tonight on KMYU, the KSL TV app, and KSL.com if you want to catch tonight's match for RSL taking on Minnesota United. All right, we'll take a time out here. Come back on the other side. Going to be joined by former BYU star, their all-time leading scorer, Tyler Hawes. Am I, am I wrong in that? I think he still holds the all-time yes. leading scorer tag. Yes. Tyler Haas will join us next. We'll talk a little bit about what he's been doing now that he's in the professional ranks and also get some thoughts on the basketball tournament. That's all coming up next right here on the Zone Sports Network.